This podcast episode is sponsored by Statera. Statera is a web-based application that helps youth athletes and their stakeholders estimate training load, track maturation status, monitor readiness, and manage injury. Put together by coaches working with busy youth athletes, Statera helps keep things simple and brings together the most important training information in one place to ensure that effective athlete-centered decisions can be made. No more complicated Excel tutorials and spreadsheets, just upload your athletes' data and their training schedule and start to take control of their training commitments and workload. Make more informed decisions and protect your athletes' well-being, supporting their performance. Statera takes your data very seriously. GDPR compliant and registered with the ICO, choose from a range of maturation indices and validated measures or customize your own. Statera can record any training variable and all your data is fully exportable. To reach out today and get a free walkthrough, head over to www.statera.uk. That's S-T-A-T-E-R-A dot U-K. Welcome to the Athletic Evolution Podcast. Today, I'm speaking with Ruben Nieves. As Director of Training, Ruben Nieves is responsible for overseeing the training and support of Positive Coaching Alliance trainers around the United States. Ruben earned his Master's Degree in Education from Stanford University in 1982, and he coached collegiate volleyball for 18 years including stints as the head men's coach at Stanford and the head women's coach at Fresno State. Ruben was twice named NCAA Men's Volleyball Coach of the Year in 1992 and 1997. He guided Stanford to the Cardinals' first men's volleyball NCAA championship in 1997. Ruben also has extensive experience and success in international volleyball. He spent the summer of 2001 as head coach of the USA Men's Volleyball World University Games team, which captured the gold medal in Beijing, China thus becoming the first and only American squad in history to accomplish this feat. In addition, Ruben has seven years of physical education teaching experience at all levels from kindergarten through to 12. As a parent, coach or official, he's been involved in many youth sports, including track and field, soccer, baseball, softball, basketball, swimming, water polo, football, tennis and cross country. Ruben has worked with Positive Coaching Alliance since 2001 and has presented over 500 PCA workshops. So welcome to the podcast, Ruben. It's a pleasure to have you today. Thanks for your time. Thank you, Rob. Happy to be here with you. So for those who haven't come across you before and uh, and the work of PCA, give us a bit of background just in yourself in terms of your own involvement in sport as a youngster and how that evolved into coaching and beyond. Yeah, so, um, so uh, after uh, uh, playing collegiate volleyball at Stanford, um, I, I went on to become a... Uh, a teacher and uh, a high school coach. And I got a call uh, from my former coaches at Stanford uh, three or four years into my teaching career, asking me if I'd be interested in coming back and joining them on the coaching staff, that they, they, they needed uh, a coach that was uh, comfortable with men's volleyball, um, but also uh, experienced working with, with women's volleyball. And, and at the time I was coaching a girls volleyball team so I was kind of in the right place at the right time and the right fit. And um, uh, so I was an assistant coach for, for the, the, the two teams at Stanford, the men's and women's volleyball teams. And um, that's, how I got, that's how I got into uh, collegiate coaching. And a pretty successful kind of period, like obviously named NCAA well, Coach of the Year twice. Yeah, yeah. So, so, so Rob, again, I mean, you know, 
I, I've worked hard. I've worked hard, and um, but I'll tell you, I've had some key, some key breaks. Um, so, so I, I mean, I really think that that what I just shared with you, I, I, I was kind of lucky uh, in that way um, that they sought me out specifically, um, and then uh, four years later, the two coaches divide uh, were able to split up. And one of them to become the, the head coach of the women's team, that was Don Shaw, and Fred Stern became the head coach of the men's team. And so, um, and then a few years after that, Fred Stern was asked to coach the US national team. And he left on an interim basis, okay? He, he joined mid-quadrennial, this was in 1994. And so he took a leave of absence from, from Stanford. So Stanford was looking for an interim head coach. Well, that limited the pool of applicants, you, you know, that would consider leaving permanent positions for interim. And Stanford decided what made most sense is to elevate me to um, interim head coach. So then the next stroke of luck was uh, in my second year, uh, the team did very well, and we went. We went to the. We were the NCAA runner-up, the national runner-up, collegiate runner-up, and I was named the national collegiate coach of the year. About that same time, the USA Volleyball Association decided to offer Coach Sturm the next quadrennial. They wanted him to stay on. He had led the team uh, to the bronze medal in in Atlanta, which was an unexpected finish. And so they kept him on. So at that point, Fred Sturm did resign. I was in place as the national coach of the year. And Stanford didn't have to make me the, the permanent coach, but they chose to do so. And so that uh, from there, I, I was the head coach for 11 years. Um, the, the highlight on the scoreboard was 1997 when we did win the NCAA championship. Hmm. And you also experienced a bit of international success as well, didn't you, with the, at the World University Games? So, yes, I, I've been involved with uh, USA Volleyball, or I was um, involved with USA Volleyball. I served in a, as an advisor to that Olympic team in 1996. Um, and then I, I coached the, the United States Youth Volleyball Team, which is a 15 and under team. That group competed in the World Championships in, in San Juan, Puerto Rico. Mm -hmm. And I was an assistant coach for the USA World University Games team. Um, and that team competed in the World University Games in Buffalo, New York. I want to say that that was 1995. I'm not sure. Um, but but the, the highlight there internationally for me was when I coached the, that same, I was the head coach for the World University Games team, USA team, in 2001. And that team won the gold medal at the Beijing World University Games. And what an experience that was, Rob, because uh, Beijing had, had been awarded the Olympic Games for 2008. And so they were really using the World University Games as kind of a dry run. And they, you know, and they really, they really wanted to, to, to put their best foot forward. And it, it was just su such an awesome experience, not only competitively, but uh, the, um, the athlete village that they built and uh, the, the, the experience that they gave us was just, uh, just wonderful. Hmm. 
So, so looking back on, you know, a, a very successful career, what would you say was your underlying driver or your kind of why that, that really got you, yeah. got you the coaching bug? My, my why for coaching, you know, um, well, Rob, you know, it, it may go back, um, it may go back to when I was a kid. I, I was born club footed. Okay. So I was born instead of my feet and toes facing forward the way they're supposed to, they faced inwards at each other. So club footed is a, a, a general term for, for foot def, um, deformity at birth. And um, so I spent many years of childhood re recovering from corrective surgeries in casts that position my feet a certain way. I slept for two years with br braces, these boots that were on my my feet with a metal bar between them. I remember how uncomfortable that was to try to sleep with those. And, and, and so, uh, but I was naturally, I, I naturally wanted to be active. And so, um, you know, once that was all corrected um, um, and thank, thank, uh, thankful to my parents for putting in the resources and the effort and the time and, uh, uh, you know, by the, by, by the age of seven and eight, I was playing sports and I loved it. And, um, you know, I mentioned that I played collegiate volleyball at Stanford. Um, I say play, I was on the team. I wasn't on the court for competitions that often. I was a reserve player. I was a role player. Um, and I, but I wanted to stay in sports and I, I realized, well, if I'm going to stay in sports, it, it sure is not going to be as an athlete. <laughs> um, I better, I better learn how to coach. And um, I took an interest in coaching. I, as a player, I was a student of the game. You know, my, my, my coaches saw that in me. And I think that's part of why they did seek me out later to bring me back to, to coaching. But, but, but part of my why is that I, I, I love sports. I like competition. Um, and it's a way for me to be involved. Um, you know, another why is that I, I do believe like Positive Coaching Alliance, that's, that sports sports done right is an awesome thing and that that it's easy to get off track with sports i saw it as a youth growing up playing in in the local boys and girls club leagues i saw it when the adults would take the experience away from the kids and you know they'd get all upset and they'd have they'd be fighting and 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 um it was really too bad i, I saw adults yelling at a a 12 year old referee you know and, and I, I realized at a young age that, you know what, this is pretty neat, but it can get off track. And so that's my other why, um, Rob, is that I, I, I just think that uh, we, we wanna get sports right and we wanna make sure that it's, it's child-centered, youth-centered, and Positive Coaching Alliance is all about that. So when did that involvement start? How did you cross paths with Positive Coaching Alliance? So, so I, I was coaching at Stanford and in 1998 uh, showed up for one of our monthly coaches meetings and our athletic director at the time, Ted Leland, uh, introduced us to this gentleman, red haired gentleman, said Jim Thompson uh, is here. He teaches in the business school and he started a, a nonprofit. We're gonna house it on campus and it's called Positive Coaching Alliance. And so one of the first groups that Jim Thompson, the founder of Positive Coaching Alliance, got in front of was the Stanford Athletic Department coaches. And he gave us a 20-minute overview of what he was hoping to accomplish. And I immediately connected with, with his vision. And I, I thought, wow, 
you know, it's pretty neat that at Stanford, we get a chance to compete at the highest level that we that we get to win championships. I said, but now Stanford's really doing something meaningful in sports. How was that initially received? Did everyone have the same reaction as yourself? Were there some that maybe didn't oh, I, react? I don't think everybody, uh, I mean, everybody, all the coaches were supportive. Um, I think what, what made me different is I immediately reached out to Jim Thompson and thanked him and congratulated him. I said, you know, as, as a coach here in the Stanford Athletic Department, if I can ever be of help, you let me know. I'll, I'll, I'll do what I, what I can. Um, so, I mean, I think, I, I think people who hear about Positive Coaching Alliance and, and learn what we're about, it's, it's pretty rare to come across someone who says that's not a good, it's not a good thing. What, what, is, what is less rare or, or what is common is for people to go, are you guys crazy? How are you going to change the culture of, of youth and high school sports? You know, um, you, you guys are going against the grain, which we realized Jim Thompson, Jim Thompson from day one said what we're doing is not easy. Um, and many people thought he was crazy to even attempt it. But enough people got behind him uh, to get him started. And, and he persevered and stuck with it. And, um, and uh, now we're... Uh, we're in our 23rd year. We're in our 23rd year now. So how has the organization evolved over that 23 years? What, what, what were the first kind of pilot projects and how, what grew and what succeeded and what didn't? Yeah, well, um, so much happened early on. Um, you know, Jim Thompson at first thought, his vision was that we can, if we get coaches to be positive coaches, that youth sports will get better. And, um, and uh, he, he soon realized that that's not enough, that, you know, parents have a huge impact and that, you know, we've got to reach parents too. Um, uh, the administrators, how they, how they set things up and what values they bring and um, what kind of commitment they make to enforce the, the, the right kind of sports culture for kids. That's important. So, so that was one of the early changes that um, was rather than just being coach focused, and we, it, it's still the primary focus is, is coach training in positive coaching techniques, philosophy and techniques. Uh, pretty early on, it expanded to what Jim Thompson called a systems approach, where we try to get the administrators, the coaches, the parents, and the athletes, especially by the time they get to high school, all on the same page, working in the same direction. Four different roles, four completely different roles but with the same philosophy, understanding what we're about and um, our goals and how we're going to do it, how we're going to do it. The area that gets confused the most um, in youth sports, parent and coach. Rob, I showed up a couple years ago to watch my um, six-year-old nephew play soccer. And so I show up at the field and there's a bunch of games going on. And so first I have to find the field. Okay, yellow jerseys. Um, okay, it looks like it's, so I, I approach, I find the field and I recognize my, my nephew on the field. And I'm wondering, huh, I wonder who the coach is. And I look at the side, I couldn't tell who the coach was, Rob, because there were 50 or more adults yelling and screaming at the kids, telling them what to do. One or two of them were coaches, but I didn't know which one it was. And you know, some were standing, some were sitting in chairs. I figured, ah, the coach is probably standing, you know. But so halftime comes, 
And all the kids run over to the sideline and they did surround one young man. And that's when I found out who the coach of the team was. <laughs> so, so my point is that, you know, too often the parents don't let the coach coach and the kids play. We all want our kids to succeed. We all want them to win. And we certainly want them to enjoy the experience. But yelling at them from the sidelines and telling them what to do uh, is not our role. And it doesn't help them play better. They don't hear their coach's instructions as well when they have to try to discern the coach's voice among 20, 30 other voices that are telling them what to do. So um, anyway, that's uh, the systems approach is was one of PCA's first shifts and developments from just coach training to the whole, the whole system. Um, you know, more recently, uh, until March, almost all of our training with these groups was done in person. We did in-person workshops and the workshops focused on philosophy and tools, both. Um, well, when the pandemic hit, like so many others, we had to make a shift to online training. And fortunately, Zoom was waiting there for, for organizations like us and fit the need. And, and so more recently, a shift we've made is from doing 95% of our training in person to 95% virtual. That will shift again, we hope, and we hope it shifts sooner rather than later. Um, the, the, the virtual training has been just great. And in some places, um, in, in some instances, people have found it preferable to the in-person. And yet overall, we do think that the greatest impact is when we're in person with, with, with a group of coaches or athletes. Hmm. So tell us a bit more about PCA, about the content of those kind of workshops and okay. training that you do. Yeah, so at, at Positive Coaching Alliance, we think that a, a positive coach is what we call a double goal coach. Double goal, it has two goals. The first goal, and this surprises people sometimes, Rob, the first goal is you try to win. As long as, as long as the scoreboard is on, and the scoreboard isn't always on, you know, when three-year-olds are playing soccer, you, you don't have a scoreboard. I know mom and dad are keeping score, but, but officially there's no score. You know, but, you know, once the scoreboard's on, you know, as a coach, you, you, you try to win. You try to help your players succeed and uh, play well. But you have a second and even more important goal. And this is what separates you from a win-at-all-cost coach. Positive coaches want to win. Double goal coaches want to win. Win at all cost coaches want to win. But the win at all cost coach stops there. The double goal coach, second and more important goal is to teach life lessons through sports. Lessons that apply on a soccer pitch, off a soccer pitch. Lessons that apply while I'm trying to navigate my way through elementary school. Lessons, same lesson that I can apply later in, in adult life, facing the challenges of adult life, okay? Development, we, we have um, a tagline, better athletes, better people. What we mean by that is we think sports done right develops both, develops youngsters as into better athletes, and even more importantly, it develops them into better people. P people who are equipped to contribute to society in the most positive, productive ways, and, and to, to thrive, um, to thrive uh, in adulthood. So, so that's the coach part. Um, and 
Parents, we encourage to be second goal parents. And that relates to the double goal coach. Leave that first goal of winning the pursuit of victory to the coach and athletes. Mom and dad, grandpa, grandma, where you can contribute the most is by reinforcing the life lessons that the sport and that the coach is trying to teach. We get that wrong sometimes, parents. I'm a, I'm a sports parent. I've been there. I've made these mistakes. We get that wrong some, sometimes. Coaches teaching respect for authority, respect for the officials. Game is over and when we get in the car, what do we hear from mom and dad? You know, if that blind referee hadn't made that call, we would have won the game. You know, so a, a second goal parent would not do that. A second goal parent would go, would, would acknowledge that they might acknowledge that they, they thought the call was wrong. Um, what can we learn from it? What could we have done in the game so that that questionable call would not have affected the outcome in such a profound way? So second goal parent. We have a model for the athletes too, Rob. We call it the triple impact competitor. Triple impact competitor is one who strives first impact. They strive to make themselves better. They're committed to that but they don't stop there because they're also committed to making their teammates better. And they don't stop there because the third commitment they make to making better is the sport itself, making the game better. So a triple impact competitor makes self teammates and the game better. All right. And then, and then finally we, you know, the, I, I mentioned leaders or administrators. Um, we have a model for them too. And we call it the single goal leader who has a relentless focus on culture, on shaping culture and defending culture. So a single goal leader, um, uh, if, if we're gonna treat each other with respect in this organization, when they see that not happen, they have a plan uh, and they take action. You know, and the, the action may be a simple reminder. Hey, Rob, calm down. It may be as simple as that, or it may require something more significant, a warning, a suspension. Hopefully it doesn't involve a call to law enforcement, but sometimes it does. <laughs> you know, when, when behavior, especially by adults, is not consistent with the culture we want, a single goal leader takes action, protects the culture. So, um, Rob, shall I keep going or do you want yeah, to? Yeah, yeah, no, fire away. It's gold. So, keep so, going. So, so, so that's a little bit of the philosophy and the models. What's, what's really important though is, okay, well, I want to be a double goal coach. How do I do it? We got, we got a couple of uh, things that help guide a double goal coach, help guide a parent that wants to be a second goal parent. First of all, we have the principles of positive coaching. And there are three of them. The first one is the ELM tree of mastery. E-L-M is an acronym. Many people are familiar with the concept of mastery in education and teaching. And ELM is a way to help, help folks grasp it quickly. ELM stands for, e, in it, the e stands for effort, L stands for learning, and the M stands for mistakes. Mistakes are okay. And we contrast that, that's a mastery definition of success. And so 
a, a, a positive coach, a double goal coach, coaches for mastery. They coach for the elm, as opposed to coaching for the scoreboard only. Scoreboard focus is results, comparison with others, and mistakes are viewed completely the opposite. Mistakes are bad. Mistakes are terrible. They're, they're, we can't have mistakes. Well, a mastery-oriented coach or, or educator understands how valuable mistakes are and what a natural part of the process they are. And if we want maximum effort, if we want to maximize growth, we want an environment where mistakes actually are happening. So, so that's one of the principles, the elm tree of mastery that helps us become a double goal coach or a second goal parent. Um, the second one is filling emotional tanks. We all have an emotional tank. It's a lot like the gas tank in our car. If that gas tank is empty, we're not going anywhere. That car cannot perform. Well, people and young athletes are the same way. If our emotional tanks are empty, it's difficult for us to perform. It's difficult for us to learn. Coaches, masterful coaches understand the importance of helping keep their athletes' emotional tanks full. Granted, we can't control all the... Um, things that impact a child's emotional tank. They're not with us 24 hours a day, but we can, we can have a great impact on their emotional tank level for those two hours uh, that they are with us, whether it's a, a competition, whether it's a training session. What can we do to fill their emotional tank? The coach that yells and scream and berates a child, if they're trying to win, they're helping the other team win. They're helping the other team win by draining the emotional tank of their athlete. Okay, so um, boy, I'm one of those coaches who feels like the most important thing I do as a coach is around the emotional tanks of my athletes. It doesn't matter how brilliant I am as a coach and my, my, my lesson plan and my strategy and my, my calling of timeouts. If I, don't, if I don't keep my athletes' emotional tanks full through my own actions, through the environment that I create, even Tom Brady isn't gonna win a championship. Even Pele is not gonna win a championship without a full emotional tank. That's, that's the second principle, Rob. The third principle is honoring the game. Honoring the game is about integrity. It's about doing the right thing. It's about sportsmanship. And we have an acronym for honoring the game also. It's, it's called ROOTS, R, double O-T-S. And Root tells us remember the five key areas we're always going to show respect for in sports, no matter what our role is. The, the R, respect for rules. Um, following not only the letter, but the spirit of the rule. Um, the first O is respect for opponents, understanding that there's a difference between opponent and enemy understanding the opponent is actually a gift that helps us challenge ourselves, helps bring out the best in us. And um, it's a lot more fun playing against an opponent than playing against your teammates day in, day out. So we're grateful for opponents, especially the, the, a worthy opponent. The second O, respect for the officials. Maybe the biggest challenge across the board in honoring the game across the world is respect for officials. Um, for whatever reason, even the most honorable people, when they show up at a game, especially when it's their child, and they don't like the call to the official, uh, their behavior, you see behaviors that you would never see from them in any other environment. 
Um, the officials are like you and me, Rob. They're flesh and blood. They're human. Like me, like you, they love sports. They may be doing it for a paycheck, but they also love it. And they, in gosh, in some cases, they're 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 not doing it for a paycheck. They're volunteers or their kids learning learning how to referee. And so we just have to we just have to have a, a perspective on that that's healthy, and we have to approach it with a sense of self control, self management, respect for the officials. That's the second of. The T is respect for teammates. When we respect our teammates, we understand that for us to achieve to our fullest potential, we have to lift up every team member. We, we have to support every team member and um, help each team member be the best they can be. Um, we'll go so far with two or three players playing to their full potential. We'll go as far as we can when every team member plays to the their fullest potential. We're teammates are not the same. We're all unique. We're different, um, and we all have we all have the ability to contribute um, if we're given that opportunity. Um, and the S in roots is respect for self. Respect for self at PCA means that you practice what you preach. That what you expect of others you expect of yourself. So if I'm a coach that expects my, my athletes to show respect for opponents, then as the coach, I model that. I always talk respectfully of our opponents. Um, if I'm a coach that expects athletes to fill each other's emotional tanks, I lead the way. I demonstrate how to be a tank filling coach and teammate. That's roots. So those are the three principles, Rob. Um, elm tree of mastery, filling emotional tanks, honoring the game. If you if you use those to guide you, you're well on your way to being a, a positive coach, a double goal coach. And PCA goes further. We provide specific tools within each principle. So for example, a tool for honoring the game, a tool for honoring the game. Is, a self, is what we call self-control routine. The beauty of many of these tools, by the way, that Jim Thompson put together and, and, and uh, collected from great coaches and athletes around the, the, the world is many of them are, are simple, but they're powerful. Self-control routine is, is something that you, you've rehearsed and you have it in your coaching briefcase for those moments when you could be triggered in a way to respond in a way that you will not be proud of later. A, an effective self-control routine distracts you momentarily and it gives you one or two valuable seconds before you respond. So when the referee makes that call that I disagree with and it's towards the end of the game and it's close, if I go to my self-control routine, I'm, I'm, I'm taking my attention away from the call. And on my, in that case, my self-control routine is a deep breath. I'm focusing on my deep breath and I'm giving me that one or two seconds before I shout out or throw my hands up. I have a much better chance to stay poised and not say something or do something that I'll regret later. So self-control routine distracts me and gives me one or two valuable seconds. It can be a deep, taking a deep breath, 
It can be turning to my assistant coach and saying in a calm voice, I disagree with that call. It can be walking to the end of the bench and getting a cup of water. Um, it can be going and sitting down on the bench and counting to two. Anything that distracts you momentarily gives you one or two seconds. That's an example of a tool. Another tool, one of the toughest time for athletes at any level, any age to perform is after they've made a mistake, after they've made an error screwed up on, on the playing field. Athletes can benefit from a mistake ritual. Mistake ritual is another rehearsed tool. You've practiced it, it's ready to go. A mistake ritual combines a physical gesture with a verbal phrase such as flush it, no sweat, shake it off, turn the page, let it go. Okay, uh, it's a phrase and a gesture. And it does two things. It reminds me, it reminds the athlete that I'm in an environment where I'm allowed to make mistakes. It's okay. Coaches taught us and preached to us. We're allowed to make mistakes. That's number one. The second thing it does, I can, I'm communing to myself and everyone around me that I'm putting the mistake behind me and moving on to the next play. I flush it. That mistake is down the drain and it's gone. I'm on to the most important play, the next play. So mistake ritual would be, would be a, another example of a tool. I've got one more for you, one more tool. It's, we call it the magic ratio. This has to do with tank filling, emotional tank filling. Um, many, me, there's research been done on how much, how much uh, what's the right balance of uh, tank filling and correction or constructive criticism, which even when intended well, can, can have a tank draining effect. And all, all the research, whether it's in sports, whether it's in the business world, whether it's in the classroom, whether it's in relationships, point to way more tank filling than tank draining. It can't be 50-50. That creates a negative, even a toxic environment. We have summarized that research because some, re some studies say in the business place, it should be 3.7 to one. In the classroom, it should be 6.2 to one. And you know, we've summarized that huge body research to a five to one ratio. Five times as much tank filling as correction and critique or other things that could drain an emotional tank. If a coach keeps that magic ratio in mind and if they occasionally track their communications and actions or videotape themselves, video audio tape and chart, okay, that comment was a tank filler. When I threw my hands up, that was a tank drainer. Wow, look at, I, I, I gave four players fist pump bumps there. I used Sally's name. I, gosh, I was smiling to the players there. Those are all tank fillers, okay? And remember, five to one doesn't mean that for every correction, I have to point out something that a child is doing right. That's one way to, to fill tanks is to point out what kids are doing right. But tank fillers can have nothing to do with coaching techniques and strategy. You know, if, I, if I'm at the supermarket and I see one of my players, I go, hey, Billy, I'm smiling. I'm using his name. I'm waving to him. Three tank fillers, okay? Phil Jackson 
the American basketball coach. I see that you recognize that name. He, he has been our national spokesperson for over 20 years, never received a penny from PCA. He does it because he believes in the, the mission, the mission of making youth and high school sports the, the best experience it can be for all involved. Um, he talked about when he would give critique or correction to his professional basketball player. These are athletes like Kobe Bryant, Michael Jordan, Shaquille O'Neal. He said it was like an atomic bomb going off. That the impact of pointing out that they weren't perfect was so strong. He said it was like an atomic bomb going off. Therefore, he, he gravitated towards this magic ratio of way more tank filling than critique and correction. Yeah, no, that's really, really interesting. I think um, it's a, a number of those things that you've mentioned there I've, I've done I've, uh, as part of a CPD thing once had to video myself during a session and I was actually shocked at what I saw because what, you know, my body language was really negative, but actually I wasn't thinking that in my head, but you, you're not aware of how you present yourself all the time. Well, we have that in common, Rob. I, it, it hit me. I didn't intentionally videotape myself. It happened to be a televised match and my team was struggling and the camera panned over to Ruben, the head coach on the, the, the bench. And I was moping with my arms crossed. I looked like a coach who had given up on his, on his team. I really looked like that. And, and I, 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 I it, it was an eye opener for me. It was an eye opener for me. And I, uh, I'm glad that that camera panned over to me so I could learn that lesson. And you're right. It's you obviously we're talking about things in the context of youth sport, but examples like Phil Jackson. And um, I mean, I've read his book, 11 rings and, and Bill Walsh's score takes care of itself. There's, it's not just a principle for youth sport and recreational sport, is it? It's this, it, you know, good coaches understand this at a much higher oh, level. Well, 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 earlier you asked me what, what's been the, uh, you know, the, how has Positive Coaching Alliance progressed over the years? Well, that's been an interesting one and a surprising one. Jim Thompson did not set out to impact collegiate level sports, professional sport. He did not have that intention. And yet we have seen collegiate coaches, professional coaches come to Positive Coaching Alliance to, to learn, to grow, and to apply the, the, these strategies to their own coaching. Um, gosh, a beautiful example of this, I'm gonna give you another uh, American basketball coach, Steve Kerr, who, who, who happens to be a protege of Phil Jackson. He played for Phil Jackson as a player. Steve Kerr is the current head coach of the Golden State Warriors. And probably over the last 10 years, um, Steph Curry is the star player of those teams. Probably over the last 10 years, they've been the, the, the most successful professional basketball team in, in the US. Well, Steve Kerr does, he, Steve Kerr is not a perfect coach and he works at it. Uh, for example, he's, he is not always respectful of the officials. Okay, that second O in roots. If I were to critique Steve Kerr and Steve Kerr said, Hey, Ruben, what's one way you think I could become a more positive coach? I would say, coach, you got to be more respectful of the officials. Okay. And I'm sure he would nod his head because <laughs> he knows. Um, you know, on the other hand, talk about filling the emotional tanks of his athletes, talking about coaching for mastery, talk about allowing his players to make mistakes, giving them freedom, eliminating the fear of mistakes, 
wow, does he, he do it through his, his words, his actions. Um, 10 years ago, no coach would let a basketball player shoot the ball from 40 feet away from the basket. But somehow Steve Kerr decided to let Steph Curry do it. <laughs> and it has paid off. And now lots of professional basketball players shoot the ball from a distance that coaches would have never let them many years ago. Um, Steve Kerr talks about the values that he, of his, his program. And one of them is joy. It's one of their core values. Um, uh, com competitiveness is one of them also. But he places joy on the same level of competitiveness that when we're in a basketball gym, joy should be a part of it. And I, as the coach, have to lead the way. He talks about projecting joy when he's around his players, when he's in a basketball gym or an arena. He wants to project joy. He wants everyone to know, especially his players, there's no place I'd rather be right now than with you men taking on that team right now. That's what he calls projecting joy. And, we, and that's one of the newer, you know, coaches have learned from us uh, more, but, but we learn from coaches. And that's one of the, well, that's one of the newer concepts we've, we've learned and are, are trying to get coaches to embrace is this idea of projecting joy as a coach. And I think uh, it's really interesting what you said there about, you know, seeing players do things that, that maybe five, 10, 20 years ago weren't, weren't really allowed because it comes back to that making mistakes, doesn't it? And that's something that you really see uh, stunt creativity. And at the end of the day, you know, ch championship winning players are often those players who've got something unpredictable up their sleeve, but it's only unpredictable well, because they've tried it a few times and they know how it works. If it's the first Rob, time you're doing it. Rob, do you know how to ride it. a bicycle? Rob, exactly. do you know how to ride a bicycle? Yeah. When you learned to ride a bicycle, were you afraid to, to fall off? Were you afraid? To, did you realize oh, that you might fall off? Yeah, yeah. So, so, you know, and there may have been a little fear, but it wasn't a fear that was so great that it stopped you from trying anyway. In my neighborhood, there's some, some kids that occasionally go by my house on a skateboard. They fall off all the time. They make mistakes all the time. They're not letting a fear of mistake stop them. And here's another interesting lesson for us coaches, Rob. Those skateboarders who've gotten really good and really proficient, I don't think they had a coach. Hmm. They got really good at a sport, a physical activity by doing it. <laughs> and, and, you know, we coaches, you know, great guidance and mentorship and coaching is, is, is super helpful and super important. And most, most athletes that reach the high level have had the benefit of that somewhere along the way. Have you come across uh, any of But Craig some Harrison's haven't. Some haven't. Go ahead. Have I, I come across? Craig Harrison. So he, he does a podcast from New Zealand called The Athlete Development Project. But he's, he's got a real fascination with uh, skating as a culture because he says exactly what you said. There's no, cult, there's no coaches. But when you go down, there's all these different age groups skating with each other and they're all mentoring each other. So it's almost like they're all coaching each other, but none of them is the head coach. And they're all, yeah. you know, this weird cross, cross age, cross barriers, but they're all there united by skating. And as you say, they're making mistakes left, right and center, but they're constantly. And they don't have to be there. They don't have to be there. They're doing it because they want to be there. Um, you know, and they can't wait. probably a lot of joy. There. They can't wait to get there. 
it's it's yeah there's a lot of joy there maybe not so much when they fall over but definitely when they <laughs> nail that trick or whatever it is see that's why i won't that's why i won't be a skateboarder is because i have too much fear um yeah the, the fear of mistakes the fear of mistakes um the fear of a coach's a coach react how how is coach going to respond or the fear of how mom and dad are going to respond i'm pointing at the imaginary grandstands right um boy is that hold us back in sports and any other area of performance and learning hmm. so tell us a bit more about where can people go to find out more about yeah. about pca and yeah. about some of the resources yeah. that you mentioned yeah, so so PCA, I, I think the first two places I point people are to two websites. One of them is positivecoach.org. Positivecoach.org, all one word.org. Um, and that is our general website, which uh, it lists our staff, our national advisory board, how to get involved with PCA. Uh, if you want to part, if you want your youth sports organization to partner with PCA and go through some of our workshops, it, 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 um, it's our general information uh, website. And it's great. And you'll learn a lot uh, about our organization and about positive coaching, second goal parenting, being a triple impact competitor right there. We have a second website, which is PCA Dev Zone, D E V Zone. Dev is short for development. PCA Dev Zone, that's all one word, dot org. That is our resource center. So that website, it's a full website, it's searchable, it's a database of resources. So if I type in, um, if I type in bouncing back from mistakes, I'm going to up will pop many resources, probably hundreds, um, uh, articles, podcasts, video clips, um, all on the, that topic on how, how to deal productively with mistakes. And, you know, some, some of the resources might come at it from a coaching standpoint. Some might come at it from the, the standpoint of an athlete. So those are the two main places um, I would steer people to learn more about Positive Coaching Alliance, about um, the, the Positive Coaching Movement, and the tools to execute your role within a positive sports culture. Fantastic. Well, thanks so much for your time today, Ruben. It's been a real pleasure chatting with you. And I think PCA is doing some really great things. And, and I think the, the more coaches and parents that hear about it, the better. So thanks again for your time today. Thanks, Rob. Thanks for giving uh, Positive Coaching Alliance and, and me this opportunity and this platform. Good luck to everybody out there. If you enjoyed this episode, there's a number of simple things you can do to help support the podcast. First, hit subscribe on your chosen podcast player so you're kept up to date with the latest episode releases. Second, you can leave us a review to help us reach more coaches and parents like yourself. Third, you can send this episode on to a coach or friend to help spread the word. And then fourth, you can find us on social media, on Facebook using Athletic Evolution and on Instagram and Twitter using the handle at Athletic Evo UK.